Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Jake, uh, Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at JakeJack on the two ends. Hi, buddy. My name is Thomas Barth. I'm the editor of WallsBlog.com, which is a website dedicated entirely to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, you can obviously visit the website at WallsBlog.com, uh, Twitter forward slash WallsBlog, or Facebook.com forward slash uh, WallsBlog. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, guys. Unfortunately, none of our teams won this weekend, but we'll still try to make a, a good go of it today. Uh, I figure we'll start off with the last thing that happened in the, in the Premier League week, which was West Ham beating Liverpool. And I was just curious to your guys' thoughts on, on if this is more of a statement win for West Ham, if Liverpool uh, just kind of had a bad day, or if you think this portends something promising for West Ham, like like a potential top four run, or if this is just another example of a club outside the top four challenging a bit later than we expected. Yeah, I think obviously West Ham had a great start to the season. Carrying on sort of what, what's been happening for the last, I don't know, 18 months. They were really good last year. They finished the previous year off quite well as well. So I think that David Moyes is doing really well there. And um, he's definitely repaired his reputation somewhat. And um, yeah, I think they deserved their win today. And I thought it was, it, you know, you can sometimes you watch these games where a big team loses and you think, oh, that, you know, they've had a bad day or a bad decision he's got against or whatever. But I think you could watch that and say that David Moyes really got his tactics spot on and he he, just, he outcoached Klopp today, I think. And um, he, he he isolated some uh, weaknesses in Liverpool, especially in set pieces. They seem to be putting the ball in a very specific area to be getting success in swing corner. Uh, and it and it was causing a whole lot of problems. Um, and I think in English football, more so than, than other, other countries, you can really... Uh, there, there is a law um, sort of, that you can definitely sort of uh, benefit if, if you attack the keeper in the right situations and uh, if you're not too physical. There's, def- there's definitely more physicality allowed in England. And you see that with a lot of keepers that come over, they do struggle with that. And, and I, I thought that West Ham really sort of pushed that law to its limit today, but they, they stayed within it. So I think that whoever does the set, uh, set pieces there deserves a lot of credit. Um, they've also got a lot of big people in the box, you know, Suchek, Zuma, Ogbonna, Antonio. But I think the, the quality of delivery as well from Bowen uh, and Fournells for the first goal was excellent. And it was just a really, they were just really good uh, coached routines. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, other other teams can should should learn from that. I think, you know, you see set-piece coaches coming into the game more now. And, it, you know, any team can be good at set-pieces. It's something that if you put your time into on the on the training ground, you'll get rewards from it. And I think it is something that is still really underutilised at the top level. Um, you know, West Ham have the benefit of having some good 
good um, players to put a delivery in and tall and strong, good in the air players. But even if you don't have those, you could definitely still benefit if you put time into that pieces. So I think that West Ham deserve credit for that. And they also sort of were trying to funnel a lot of the, the play down Liverpool's left-hand side because Andy Robertson hasn't been in great form. They seem to be um, pulling on to, to Matip and Trent as well when they're attacking and they were getting a lot of success with that. There was quick tran- uh, quick transitions. I think that they... They just knew what they were doing and it came off. So, yeah, I think West Ham deserve a little credit. It's still early days. I think that, you know, they've got the Europa League to deal with still. It's early days. They will go through bad runs. I think that, yeah, if they get a couple of injuries or whatever, they will struggle. But they're well up there on merit at the moment. I can see them going on and having another good season. And um, I, I don't see them finishing in the top four, but they definitely have the potential to push on and they're they're one of the few teams where they can beat you know one of the big three quote unquote on merit like they did today. You know other teams. Um, you know you could even say Arsenal, Arsenal and Leicester to an extent. They need a bit of luck on their day to beat these top teams. But West Ham can do it. They 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 can do it. They're, they're very well coached. They've got players that that cause other teams problems. They're so physical in the middle. They're, I think the Suchek and Rice partnership is, is excellent. Um, so yeah, they're one of the few teams I think could beat a team like Liverpool Man City on their day, but I think there will be some inconsistency as well as we go through the season. But yeah, they're definitely on for a good season and uh, it's a good time to be a West Ham fan. Yeah, just to echo what Jake said, really. Um, I rate West Ham. I look at that team and I, I think it's got everything, all the ingredients that a really good team would have. They've got the physicality, they've got the pace, they've got skill. Um, they, they, they're really well organised. You know, there's there's nothing missing from from that team, um, and I think it, it's not a massive surprise because if you look at the, I was just looking at the table from last season, they finished two points behind fourth place. Uh, they were there or thereabouts for pretty much all of last season, I think. And so the fact they've just continued, you know, and they've added to that squad. With, you know, we've we've talked about Kurt Zuma. That's a big signing for them. I think that's that's the kind of thing you need to do. Uh, when Wolves were in that position a couple of years ago where we were knocking around 5th, 6th, 7th for a lot of the season, um, that's what I really wanted to see Wolves do. I wanted them to go and buy players who you felt would would you know have an impact on that team and, and help cement that position and pay, maybe even push us a bit further. And I think even though Kurt Zuma obviously wasn't a massive success at Chelsea, um, that's the kind of player who's very well established. Um, you could see very clearly that he was going to upgrade that West Ham defence and, you know, he's done that. So there's a lot I like about West Ham. Um, I think the question of whether they can finish in the top four probably comes down to whether Man United are going to get their act together. I don't think West Ham will finish above Man City, Man United or Liverpool, regardless of what they did in that game today. Um, as Jake said, I think they'll, that as the season progresses, they'll have a lot to take on. The squad isn't really that, you know, that, in strong in depth to, to deal with all the Europa League stuff. It looks like they're obviously going to go a reasonable distance in that competition as well. I think they're still in the League Cup as well. So, the, you know, the fixtures are going to pile up. And But, you know, they're, they're certainly a very serious entity. And I think they'll be pushing around fifth, sixth, you know, closing in on that top four. And if, you know, if Man United really don't get their act together, um, then, you know, I, I think they'll probably be first in line um, challenging because I think they're probably a more complete team than Arsenal. You know, Arsenal, another team that are sort of coming up and looking like they might might have a good season at the moment. But um, but I'd say West Ham are more complete in all, all areas. So um, but yeah, it's, uh, if I was a West Ham fan now, I'd be very happy indeed because I just see I see everything coming together. Even the atmosphere at the, the London Stadium now seems like you know really electric. 
kind of a really interesting place to to play football. And I don't think a lot of teams will relish playing them. Wolves have got them in the next game, and I'm not looking forward to that game because I think you know it'd be very tough, and they'll they'll obviously be strong favourites for that. So um, so yeah, so I think if I was guessing now, I'd say top six for West Ham, but but certainly um, I don't expect them to go away any lower than that for the season, but probably just shy of the top four. Yeah, you guys make a lot of really interesting points, and I agree with darn most of them. Uh, I agree with you, Jake, when you're talking about the set pieces. That Zuma uh, header where he just kind of ghosted to the back post, that seemed very intentional. Like they had spotted something in in film or something where they saw that they could they could pull something like that off in the match, and then obviously it worked out. Uh, and I definitely agree with the stadium, because that was a pretty poisonous atmosphere pretty soon after they moved in. I'm sure people remember people throwing coins at their ownership group. Um, it, it was not an ideal place, but I agree with you. I think they've kind of turned it around it. And I think you're seeing something that, and I'm always sorry when I make analogies to Tottenham, but it is obviously the thing I know the most. It kind of feels like Moyes and West Ham as a club and the fan base are all kind of growing closer together and upwards at the same time, the same way it happened with Poch and Tottenham, where it seems like they all, the identity that has been instilled both on and off the pitch is felt by the fan base and they're just getting closer and closer um, which is a very uh, challenging thing, like you said, to go have to play, uh, especially when they're at home. Uh, yeah, I agree. They, they were very close last year to, to nicking a top four spot. There's no reason they couldn't this year. I, I'm not sure if they will, but I will say as a club that just uh, brought in a new manager to try to stay in that race, uh, I am not overly confident about catching up to West Ham, let alone to... Manchester United. Hopefully I am wrong, but yeah, I think they're in a really good position. I've, I've talked many times before about how I think that the change in the uh, player IDs that they were looking for and the, and the attitudes of the players they were looking for um, shifted and that we're really seeing that on the pitch. You're seeing 11 players that are bought in, probably 25 that are really bought in to what Moyes is trying to do there. And uh, I think they're seeing the benefits of it just about every weekend. There will obviously be ups and downs, but I agree with you. I don't think there's any way they fall out of the top six. I think they're the new Leicester for this for this couple of years, the way Leicester were the past few. Uh, all right, now let's talk about managers. I didn't particularly want to. I recognize we've had a lot of managerial talk on the show lately, but uh, the Premier League keeps insisting on making news with their management situations. Uh, this week, there's been a whole lot right before the international break, as often happens because it gives you those two weeks um, to get embedded with your club. But uh, Jake, your Newcastle are about to appoint Eddie Howe, Norwich, and Aston Villa sacked Daniel Farca and Dean Smith, respectively. Question marks about Manchester United after losing another uh, big loss at home to a rival. 2-0 was the scoreline. It looked worse in, in real life, I promise. Uh, I just wanted to ask you guys, what do you make of all of these managerial situations? Are you surprised that we're all seeing them at the same time, or does it just kind of make sense here ahead of the international break? Yeah, it's it's a strange one. I think this is definitely the time to act for clubs. I think now you've you've given managers enough time with new squads and stuff to to see how it goes, uh, and you've also got now two weeks, and it's the last international break for a while. So you've got two weeks to get a coach in. Hopefully, you want to be out soon if possible. They've got more uh, time on the training pitch, um, and then you've also and then you've given that manager time to assess his options going into January. So now is really the time. Like for, for Manchester United, especially if they don't do it now, there's no point doing it. They might as well see out the season because Man United, in it, they've got too good a too good a squad to fall off completely. They they'll finish in the top six, whatever happens. They'll you know probably finish in the top four. Um, 
or you know they have a good chance of doing that even with social so this if they want to do it now is the time if they don't do it now there's, there's no point doing it so this is definitely why that you see a lot of uh, change being made. It's obviously Norwich had made that decision. Whatever happened at the weekend, they, they, they'd come to that decision. They probably spent time lining somebody up. I see Frank Lampard's quite short in the in the betting markets, um, so maybe he's going to come in. But yeah, this is definitely the time. Um, so yeah, it, I can see why clubs are doing it. Aston Villa is a strange one because you know I think Dean Smith's done quite well there, but then this year they've lost a lot of games. They're they're seventeenth after what they did in the summer. They'd probably be expecting to be safely in mid-table, even though they lost Grealish, and they're probably hoping that a new voice and a, a coach with perhaps more continental ideas will come in uh, and improve things and get the best out of the likes of Wendy or Bailey. So I can sort of see the reasoning. I think with Dean Smith, you can look back and say he did a good job with Aston Villa, but you know it's probably time for that change to be made. They've got shelf life of managers now. We've seen it with Wolves, like Nuno did a great job there, but reached it reached its limit, and I'm sure Thomas will come and agree on that one. So it reached its limit, and now they've brought in a new coach of new ideas, and it's sort of pushing them back forward again, uh, despite the loss of the weekend. So, yeah, they, I think with Dean Smith, it's, that's probably what's happened. With Norwich, they probably thought, right, we we might stay, we're probably going to go down, but we could stay up. Do we think Parker's going to keep us up? No. So let's try and make a change and do something. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But now is the time to do it. Um, and yeah, with Newcastle, that's slightly different because there, there was an ownership change, so they, they were obviously going to make the managerial change. If there hadn't been one, I'm sure Steve Bruce would still be here. But yeah, it's, it's definitely the right time to do it. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes. I think with Norwich, I'm not sure they could. I'm not sure there's a single person they could appoint that would make me think they're going to stay up. I just think that mm. the Premier League is quite strong this year. Like I'm, I'm struggling to see. Uh, the three teams that are going to finish below Newcastle, uh, even if we did go and spend some money and Eddie Howe did, did a good job there. I think there's a lot of strong teams in the Premier League this year. Um, so, yeah, for Norwich, I just can't see how, it will, how what will change. But, again, they've given it a go. This is their one card they can play now, and they've played it. So, it'd be interesting to see how it goes. And with Aston Villa, obviously, they're, they're only falling one way. Uh, and all it will take is Burnley, Newcastle, and Norwich get a couple of wins, and they'll be right in the trouble. So, again, this is probably the right time for them to do it. But yeah, it's it's harsh. But I think from now on, probably for the next couple of months, we probably won't see a change. I, like I, outside Solskjaer, I don't really see a manager that's, that's that close to losing their job now. I think all the ones that were in danger have done it. So um, yeah, they, and and again, this is definitely the right time. So I'm interested to see where Norwich and uh, Aston Villa go, and obviously excited to see how Eddie Howe does. No, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, I I would again echo what Jake said about the timing. I don't think you can you can dispute the fact that this is the ideal time to do it. Um, I remember Wolves many years back sacked Mick McCarthy, and in you know a moment of inspired thinking, they waited until just after the January transfer window had closed, um, and and you know no new managers actually wanted the job because they were like, well, what can I do? I can come in and work with this group of players, and I don't think I can keep them up, and it <laughs> backfired badly, and we finished twentieth and went down. So. Um, yeah, I think it, it is stick or twist time for a lot of those teams. I don't think there's any uh, any debate about that. You know, looking at them individually, I think, you know, Norwich would have gone down if they'd kept Fark. So um, to change him make, makes sense to me. Uh, I think he's shown over two stints in the Premier League that he's just incapable of making teams solid defensively. Uh, they just, so you just look at Norwich and you just think soft, you know, that you, they, you know, they, they have their, They'll have some good games and they'll beat teams and get some results. Um, but generally, you think they're going to fall away 
in too many games and then that's going to send them down. So maybe they've, you know, they're, they're going to bring someone in who can who can solve that problem. I, I'm not sure Lampard would be the man to do that. But, um, you know, my, my, my thought is that Norwich are going to go down anyway. But I understand why they've taken that decision. Um, Aston Villa with Dean Smith, I think it's just five defeats in a row. That's going to be very hard for any manager to to survive, particularly if you're not on a really sound footing anyway. Um, and it kind of been a bit up and down the, the, the start to the season, even before that. Um, so, and I think uh, uh, what you had at Aston Villa was like this perfect melting pot for disaster because they spent all this money in the summer, okay, but in, we knew they were going to have a massive void to fill once Grealish left and. You've got players coming in and out of that team and Dean Smith had to try and find a good combination. He's had some injuries. Um, expectations were through the roof. I mean, I saw a lot of Aston Villa fans, you know, because they're from my neck of the woods, talking about challenging for Europe. And I'm thinking, well, you know, it's a, it's a rebuild team. It's a transition. Um, so I think when you marry, you know, heightened expectations uh, to, to big transfer fees and managers have to get the results or, you know, and five defeats in a row. And there's this sense that he doesn't really know his best team and, and where's, how's it going to change? So again, it, it is harsh because of what he's done there. Um, but, but they're, they they think they should be doing better with that squad. So, you know, it's, it's a case of what, what, what these teams can do to bring in. There's only, there's only any sense in changing a manager. If you're confident, you're going to bring someone else in who's going to be better than what you had or do something different to change things. So, that you know these sackings are only right or wrong based on who they can actually get um, to replace them because it could go the other way for all of them um, if it, if it's not that way. So yeah, in, in very interesting um, interesting times. Uh, very, obviously, everyone's the you know desperate to see what what happens with Newcastle. What a manager, but you know if it seems like it's going to be Eddie Howe, what he's going to be able to do before January because if they're on four points in January and they still haven't got a win then uh, all the money in the world isn't going to probably save them. So <clears throat> it's uh, that that's an interesting one as well. But um, yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I think, yeah, interesting times in the management sack race. And again, you know, to finish, I'd uh, agree with, with Jake that I don't see anyone else really at the moment being in the crosshairs. Um, and I don't think Man United will, will, will change Solskjaer because I think they'll come through this tricky run of games and um, they'll they'll start playing teams lower down. They'll pick up results. They'll be in or in around fourth again, and and, and it'll just be business as usual. If if there's going to be a change there, well, I think it'll be in the uh, in the summer. Yeah, you you really wonder if they wish they had lost that Tottenham match and then been the ones to hire Conte rather than the other way around. But yeah, it's uh, going to be an interesting one there for Manchester United with basically Zidane as the only real like big name manager out there, and I'm not sure if that would work as well. Um, obviously, a, a lot of uh, <laughs> vacancies now to be filled, but I figured we should talk a little bit about the one that has... Uh, well, I don't even know if it's actually formally been, been announced, but he was obviously at the match there. What do we think about... A, about the fit of Eddie Howe at Newcastle. Yeah, I think I'll go. I'll go first on this one. Obviously, it's been a, it's been three weeks without a manager. Uh, Graham Jones has seen three games, and they've obviously the, the owners the whole time were briefing that this is going to be a this is going to be an in-depth managerial search. They weren't going to rush to the appointment. They'd rather get the right person than the wrong person, which you can understand. But it it, it got to the point where it obviously came out during the week they had two candidates that they wanted to go forward with. One was Unai Emery, one was Eddie Howe, and it seemed that they favoured Emery. Um, and then they sort of briefed it too soon that it was all done. He got 
he had a, a game with Villarreal that night and it and sort of sour, he, he he was quite annoyed that it came out on the, that day and then I think he got a cold feet. Uh, I think the owners played it badly but I don't think they're completely at fault because I'm sure they would have been given some sort of confidence that he, he was coming for them to brief that. But I think they would have learned their lesson from that. Uh, and yeah, moving forward, they've gone for Eddie Howe. <laughs> Obviously now that, that there's a bit of damage limitation going on because everybody knows he's not the first choice but they've come out and said or at least it's been briefed to the press that he gave a better interview. He was um, he was he was more specific and how he would get Newcastle out of the bottom three and how he wanted to progress the club moving forward. Whereas Emery spoke more in general generalities. Apparently, he was quite general in what in what he could do uh, and sort of was leading more on his experience. And obviously, his experience and what he's done in the game obviously unfavoured with enough people, but for for him to be the preferred candidate. But it, according to to what I've read, it wasn't. Unanimous. There were some that wanted how throughout. So I, I, you know, it's been a bit messy how we've got to this point. But we've got here, uh, and it, it's even been messy getting to appointing how because there was it was leaked yesterday that that was in danger of collapse because of um, disagreements or, or a lack of agreement over what his coaching staff would get. Uh, and I think that was the same reason why his, the Celtic job fell through for him. So you know, there's obviously something going on there that's a little bit questionable. Well, it seems all to be done. Uh, I think I read just before coming on that he's going to be announced formally in the morning. Um, and yeah, I guess that, that it's good that we, you know, we're getting a manager in um, over the international break to work with the players because since Steve Bruce has gone, we've dra- drawn two, uh, lost one. But you've even seen during that period um, with 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 Steve Bruce's coaching staff overseeing things, there has been an improvement. There's been more. There's been a much higher work rate. There's been We've been much better defensively. We're not conceding as many chances. Yesterday in the game, we were quite poor in the first half. Second half, we pressed, played a lot higher on the pitch, and we caused a lot of problems. And arguably, probably should have won the game. When Callum Wilson goes round um, Sanchez, he's going to put that in the net. The fact that Sanchez then commits a foul gets a red card. Yes, it was a red card, but <laughs> as a Newcastle fan, it feels like that's not punishment enough because we were just about to score. You needed the goal. Not to have a one minute advantage for three minutes. Yeah, exactly. So it, it feels like that was that was a, that soured things a, li- a little bit. If if we'd have won the game, obviously you'd say that this interim period has been a success. Two points, you know, it's fine. Get a point at Brighton, you know, we're better teams than you guys are going to go there and lose. So I think it's a good point. But yeah, we, we we have to move forward now. We need to start winning games. And Eddie House coming in with a huge job on his hands. You know, people, you know, it, it, it's the same. If people in football. We all have very, very short memories and uh, we sort of focus on the things that we have a lot of recency bias in the way we um, think about players, teams and managers. And I think Eddie Howe has been a little bit of a, a victim of that. He, he has probably done one of the best jobs that an English, an English manager has done in the last you know, 50 years. Taking Bournemouth on the brink of going out of the Football League all the way up to the Premier League. That's an incredible achievement. Whatever, you know, he, he may have had money do that but still he got Bournemouth to the peak of where it was ever going to go and then he, he got relegated but he kept Bournemouth in the league I think four seasons so if we're talking about a, a manager to come in and keep us up he's, he's got an 80% success rate of doing that so it's, it's not like he's, he's doomed to fail uh, keeping his team up um, and yeah if, if, he's, if he's got Bournemouth to the peak of what they could be if he could do that in Newcastle he's going to do an exceptional job I think that it's quite a 
I think it's a good appointment in the circumstances. I think he has somebody that can come in and make an influence now before January. He knows a lot of the players. He, he seems to be well studied up on the job. He came in and gave a lot of good comments and he had plans in the in the interview of how he was going to improve things straight away, what has been going wrong, how he could improve some of the issues, and which players he'd like to sign, the type of football he'd like to play. He's obviously very intelligent and well read on football. And like I can imagine he's the type of person he's not spent the last eighteen months, you know, sunning himself. He's spent the last eighteen months looking into what went wrong at Bournemouth. Trying to go away, he's gone to Atletico Madrid. I read and, and worked closely with Simeone for a little bit. Watch what he does. He went and spent a few days with Michael Edwards at, at Liverpool to talk about what he'd done wrong recruitment-wise. So he's definitely tried to level up in this time, and you know he, he's going to be judged on results. But he can't possibly come in and do any worse than what's been going on. He's starting from such a low base. Like the problem with Newcastle this season has been a lack of fitness, a lack of organisation, a lack of identity. He doesn't have to do a lot to show improvement. It may not be enough to keep us up. We're in a pretty wretched position. Um, I think with five points off coming out of the relegation sofa, even though we've had this terrible start and haven't won a game, we're only five points off coming out of it. And then our next three home games are Brentford, Burnley and Norwich. So he could come in and do very well straight away. And we could be, you know, we I could come back in a month's time and this could look like a great decision from the club and a great move. And he saved us. I think we're going to be in for a long season. But I don't think it's irretrievable. Uh, and I think that I'm, from what I've read on how and the way, he, I just think he's intelligent enough. He's not going to come in and just do the same thing that Steve Bruce and Graham James have been doing. He's going to have ideas of his own. He knows some of the players. He knows uh, Ryan Fraser, who we've not really been able to see much about Newcastle. Um, he knows Callum Wilson. He knows Matt Ritchie. He'll, I'm sure he's probably spent the last couple of weeks really getting to know this squad. Um, through any means he can. So I'm I'm fairly confident that he's going to do quite well. I think that, you know, if we judge him on what he did at Bournemouth, it, that, that was an incredible job. It's a different pressure at Newcastle. It's, you know, it's gonna, it's a bigger club. It's, and with new owners, there's now greater expectation. But at the, we just want to see somebody come in and get the players fit to a game plan and to compete in every game. And I think... I think he's got a point to prove. He wouldn't be my first choice for the job, but I'm prepared to give him a chance. So I think he's he could prove out to be a very, very good hire for the club. Yeah, I mean, I won't say too much on that because I think Jake's covered a lot of the a lot of the ground. Um, as an outsider looking in, I, I as soon as that job became available, I thought, oh, they'll probably get Eddie Howe. <laughs> And uh, and I thought it's not the most imaginative appointment, but they've got to put a body in there. And it's got to be someone who's a reasonable, you know, safe pair of hands. He's kind of managed in the Premier League before. Uh, and then when they were linked with Emery, though, I thought, wow, that that is a statement of intent. And I thought that'd be a superb appointment, you know, to get Emery. I mean, you can make arguments. Oh, he's not cut out for a relegation dogfight, you know, is he, he, he? But I think he's a top coach, and I think he's proved that in a number of places. And in fact. You, you could see Eddie Howe, if he keeps Newcastle up and then their mid-table next season, him getting sacked and then bringing in Unai Emery as, as someone to take them up to the next level. It's not beyond the realms because I think Emery, is to me, is obviously clearly a better coach than Eddie Howe. Um, my, my concern if I was a Newcastle fan with Eddie Howe is that I feel that with Bournemouth, he basically got a nucleus of players together and that team was very successful. And he took them to, you know, the a, a top half Premier League finish, I believe, in, in his best season there. Um, but 
when it came time to kind of evolve that team, things started to fall apart a bit. And it, you're always wondering those situations, whether it's just the case of you kind of drop a bit lucky in that you, you've got a good team, you know, you've got a good group of players and, and you, you work well with them. So to come in now, OK, you can do some reshaping in, in January, but he's got to get that team going, you know, and it, can he do that? And I think there's a question mark there. He hasn't got he hasn't got a massive track record as a manager. He's he's a one club guy basically. I think he had a couple of seasons at Burnley where he did okay in the championship, but you know there's not there's not enough there to really make a definitive assessment. So it is it is a bit of a gamble as I see it, um, and I think he's got a serious job on his hands. But I would you know the the gap isn't big as, as Jake said, and he's proven he can get results um, as a Premier League manager. So so maybe he'll he'll do it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely one I'm interested to see. I don't think it's an imaginative appointment, but you know they've got to make an appointment. So you know he's he's as good as anyone who's immediately available. Um, but I suppose Kev, you'll know as a Tottenham fan, that's that kind of appointment doesn't doesn't always pay dividends because that's what Nuno mm. was. He was the guy that was there and he was available and they picked him up and you know a rationale was made for that, but it didn't work out. So you know to me it's a coin toss whether whether he's successful there or not. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think uh, it's very odd to me that the early shot was Fonseca, although that might have just been agent talk early on. And then with Eddie Howe, you're you're continuing to focus on what is already your strength, which is your attacking players, although the goals haven't exactly been flowing lately. So maybe that's part of the idea. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just a little surprised they didn't try to look at, at more of a defensive specialist. But maybe uh, they were worried there would be a coup among the fan base um, the same way there was at Tottenham, where... Uh, we were just about done with the <laughs> defensive Portuguese managers there after a while. But if, if, if Eddie Howe has gone away to Diego Simeone and worked with him for a period of time, maybe he can come in and improve the defensive side. We don't know. It, maybe. Again, it, it's, there's a lot of unknowns, and I definitely agree with Thomas. It's a risk, but I feel like, you know, if Newcastle go down this season, it's a blow, but it's not the end of the world. And I think that maybe, I think what the what they wanted ideally was for Steve Bruce to be able to keep this team up again and then they could have a look in the summer mm. and they, that wasn't going to happen. So they've had to go for somebody. The, the, limit, the, the, the market of coaches is small now and uh, yeah, I think he's worth a chance. The, the one thing that excites me about him is that he definitely does look studious and he does look like somebody's going to try and better himself. So although he doesn't, maybe doesn't have the, the, um, you know, the body of work that we'd want, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but yeah, it could go. It, uh, definitely, great Thompson could go one or two ways, and he definitely needs to show some improvement in the defensive side other than what he showed at Bournemouth. Gotcha. Well, certainly rooting for you, and uh, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully he picked up some tips while he was over at Atletico Madrid. Uh, kind of at the other side of the pitch, I wanted to ask you guys a question that I noticed while I was just kind of going through the weekly stats, and it's that. Uh, well, technically last night, because then Arsenal moved into the top five. But last night, uh, the top five sides in chances created in the Premier League were also the top five in the table. And we've kind of disproven the whole possession equals success thing uh, back during Rodgers' uh, time at Liverpool. But I was wondering your guys' thoughts on, on the correlation between creativity and success in the modern game. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, you know, I think we went through that period of time where defensive coaches were, were winning things and it was about keeping clean sheets and providing a platform for your players to go win the game. I think of you know, the 2005 period where you had Rafa Benitez winning Champions League for Liverpool. Yeah, Jose Mourinho winning Premier League for Chelsea. Um, so yeah, there was definitely a period where that was that was what was successful. I think we've moved away from that now. I think you see the the successful teams are the ones that are, are pressing well and winning the ball back high. And if you win the ball back high, you're going to create better opportunities because you're you know you're closer to the goal and you've got more space available to you. So it definitely seems that's where we've gone. I'm not surprised that the teams that are creating the most chances are, are doing the best. Um, there aren't many teams in the Premier League now that I think they're a good defensive team. I think that they all, most teams have their issues. Like um, Arsenal, they've been keeping a few clean sheets recently, but they never look convincing. I think Watford could have equalised today. Um, but yeah, don't, it, I definitely think that Maybe at the moment, if you're creating more chances, that's probably the way to go because yeah, there's, it's very difficult to set teams up. We we see you know Mourinho at Tottenham and now at Roma, he's struggling to set teams up. Whereas that was once his forte. Rafa Benitez at Everton kept a clean sheet today, but they haven't been keeping clean sheets. So they've looked quite muddled, and it hasn't looked great for him there so far. So I'm I'm not not surprised to see that. that obviously. Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, they're always going to create more chances uh, than other teams because they've got better players. Um, but yeah, West Ham as well, they've been very good at creating chances. Um, under Moyes, they just seem so well set up and, and coached throughout the team. But yeah, I, I'm not surprised by that. And I think that it's probably going to be the better attacking teams that do well, and more so than the better defensive teams. You know, you, could, you can take... Chelsea, Liverpool, and Man City, Albert, because they're going to be the best attacking and the best defensive teams purely because of who they've got coaching them and the level of player they've got to, uh, available to them. But yeah, um, for the rest, definitely seems like it, it, 
it's the chance creation more so than the the defensive work that's getting them off the table. Yeah, I think the um, I agree with the point about how football's evolved uh, since the days of Mourinho dominating the Premier League with kind of you know tight defenses and fast counter-attacking. That's still a part of the game, but what I think happened is, and the part of the reason Mourinho's magic kind of subsided a bit was the coaching and the, the level of coaching in the Premier League just improved rapidly in that time because these top managers came to the uh, came to the Premier League. The people who are already here and the people who come in, they've, they've seen how they've set up and that the tactics of the you know continental managers have kind of been picked up and and employed you know as as they probably weren't previously. So I think that it kind of leveled out in that the competitive advantage that someone like Mourinho would have in understanding where football games are won and lost kind of evaporated. So you know then it's evolved towards more you know, Klopp's high press and um, Guardiola dominating teams with possession. So if you've got the ball 80% of the time, you don't have to kind of worry about defence so much, do you? So it's kind of a form of defence in itself. Um, but yeah, I think now, because all, you know, all teams know about that they've got to be defensive, defensively sound, or you've got no chance in the Premier League. You're, if you're good, there's probably only, I would say, two or three teams in the Premier League who don't really put defence first in a, in a lot of what they do. I'd say Leeds are one of them. Um, and then obviously the, t- the top teams. But Leeds are the only one of the outside of the, the, the big six, definitely, who kind of just say, well, we're not really going to be thinking about how we set up defensively. We're more about what we do with the ball um, and then, you know, pressing to get it back and some man-to-man marking and stuff like that. So it is interesting what teams do. But I, I think you're right that, uh, it's a big asset now that you to break down teams that are generally defensively well organised and set up. You, you, the difference between being able to do that and not be able to do it is the difference between being towards the top and being towards the bottom. Um, Wolves, you know, just putting my Wolves perspective on it, when we played Everton the other week and Benitez set up to be defensively sound in the first half, they sat so deep. They sat camped out in their own half, low defensive block. And I know last season, there's no way Wolves would have scored in a month of Sundays. But because we had Raul Jimenez and we've had Huang playing well and Trincao's an interesting player, we were able to find our way through and pick them off. And I think that's that was the three points we wouldn't have got last season because we didn't have the, that cut through in, in, in the attack. And I think you've just got to have that if you're going to be anything other than operating in the bottom third of the table. Um, so, yeah, re- really interesting. But I think, yeah, the teams that create and score the most goals are the teams that are going to be at the top. Yeah, I think that's a, an excellent point about how a lot of teams will will set up to defend against the bigger side. So if you're the ones that are able to to still, you know, pick that lock, then you'll have a really good chance of getting wins in matches that other people might not be. So, yeah, I, I think that makes total sense. On the creativity side, Jake, uh, who who drives that for Newcastle or is it more of a team effort? <laughs> I don't think anybody drives it. That's the problem. Um, I think... At the weekend, we saw Shelby come in and, and he moves the ball forward quicker. So, you know, you've got more chance of, of creating things. But it's definitely, there's too much reliance on Alan Simaxman to do things at the moment. And I'm hoping Eddie Howe's going to come in and he's going to be more, he's going to have more of a tactic than Steve Bruce did, which was just give it to Alan and hope for the best. And yeah, hopefully we're going we're gonna to diversify from that because uh, I don't think his talents alone are going to keep us in the league, sadly. All right, well, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. 
All right, and we are back. Jake, we'll stick with you talking about Newcastle. Uh, we talked about the managerial hunt a little bit in the beginning, and I was just wondering if the search and how it all played out has impacted the excitement that Newcastle fans initially had about this ownership group. Um, no, I still think there's a lot of excitement, and um, I think there will be a, a general level of, of excitement. I think there's, I think now, I think a lot of fans are maybe um, more sceptical of them at the moment, purely because they're the ones, they're the ones making decisions, and it does seem a little bit amateur at times. Uh, you know that they were briefing that they bought the club 18 months before they had. They then briefed that Steve Bruce was going to going to be sacked and then he, he stayed on for the Tottenham game and then they briefed that they you know Emery was about to take over and that was proven incorrect so it does seem that they're a little bit amateur in the way that they're, they're running their business but I think that's to be expected that none of them outside of Jamie Rubin who was on the QPR board have any experience in football football's a very different business to what most of them will be used to um you've got you've got you know you've got fans that you need to communicate with and, and try and keep on board you've got the media always looking for stories you've got to to play the you know a, the PR correctly and I think they're learning that there's also the power lines that we don't only have one set of owners we've got three sets of owners so they've got obviously there's people like Amanda Stavely who you see at matches who's who's obviously on the ground and doing a lot of things in Newcastle and in this country but she has to then go and get formal agreements from the people in Saudi Arabia and that's quite time conducive from what I can see of that you can see that you know that the time it took for them to sack Steve Bruce took a while because they needed to get that sign off. Eddie Howe it's an open ticket. He was sat next to one of the owners at the game yesterday and yet he's still not being announced. So there seems to be a little bit of learning in, in the business processes and how they're gonna do that. And they're obviously gonna want to appoint people that know more about football. That's gonna be next on the list. The, the manager searches have to be the priority. But they're gonna go and appoint directors, sporting directors, directors of football, people that can come in and oversee the football operations, that's going to be the next on the list. And they're going to have to get people in on the recruitment team, they're going to have to get people in on the, the academy side. They've got Mike Ashley has left them a shell of a football club really and they've got to flesh it out and get the right people in the right position. So it's going to take time. I think that, that I think they've got too much money for, the, for it not to be a success in the long run. There's going to be a time when Newcastle are Competing at the top end of the Premier League and competing for trophies, I'm sure of it. It might be 10, 20 years down the line, but it's going to happen at some point. Um, but yeah, I think the most important thing now is just to try and get the right people in on the football side. They need to um, appoint a director of football a C and a CEO, somebody that, that can oversee the, the business operations, get somebody in to look at the academy as well. Yeah, that's what's going to be next on the list, but I don't think it's going to be something they're going to rush into. I think like the managerial first, they're going to speak to a lot of people. They're going to find the right the people that they, they think share their their ambition and, and put them into that decision-making role. So it's going to take us, it's going to be slow. I think Newcastle are going to be learning for, for a long time. I think the next two or three years are going to be, um, they're going to be entertaining to watch, but I think there's going to be a lot of mistakes made, but I think they'll get there eventually. So yeah, I think there's, there's still a lot of excitement, but I think now there's a realisation that they need to get people in that know football. Gotcha. And you said we could hear uh, how news by the morning, which is <laughs> when people will be listening to this, assuming that nothing crazy happens between 
now in the proposed announcement. Uh, which players do you think would benefit from an Eddie Howe system and which ones do you think might be struggling a bit, obviously with the mild caveat that the system may have changed since we last saw him manage? Yeah, he did. He might, he might not play. You know, I think at Bournemouth, he, he was mainly playing a, a 4-4-2 or a, a variation of, you know, he had Callum Wilson and Josh King up front. Um, you know, he had wingers like Ryan Fraser, uh, Matt Ritchie, uh, yeah, David Brooks played for a little bit, so he, he liked wingers. I think they were quite open. They liked to to dominate the ball. Um, obviously, this Newcastle team is so used to playing without the ball. He can't come in and expect that straight away. There's got to be a transition, which is why it's probably good. He's got two weeks on the training pitch with them now. Um, for players that will benefit, I'd I know he fell out with Ryan Fraser at the end of his time at Bournemouth, but I think Fraser's come out since and said that he's sort of. You know, he's uh, um, made up with Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall. So I think that that probably won't be an issue. So maybe he's somebody that can, can benefit. We've seen him playing a lot as a sort of a number eight this year, which doesn't suit him at all. So hopefully we will move to, I, you know, I'd like to see us to play, see us play a, maybe not a 4-4-2, maybe a 4-4-2 or like a 4-2-3-1. I think that would probably suit us most. I think uh, Fabian Shaw is probably going to come in because he's good playing with the ball and I think anyhow want defenders that are comfortable on the ball I think Jamal Lewis who's barely been seen in the Newcastle shirt for what must be over a year he's going to I'd imagine he'll come in and play left back I think that he's more suited to it than Matt Ritchie Matt Ritchie really doesn't suit playing as a left back so maybe we'll see Jamal Lewis come in and get another chance I think Joe Ellington is somebody that could, could have a really good time under Eddie Howe I think they much criticised but you saw yesterday he came on Played in the front two of Callum Wilson, and he's at least he played an incredible ball to get Wilson through, uh, but it led to the red card. I think he's been showing some really small improvements for about 12 months now, but he really benefits playing alongside another striker. I think it was last year we played Palace, we played 4 4 2, we played Jolinton and uh, Wilson, and they both got a goal and assist. So, yeah, I think that that could be something he works towards. And I think that if he wants to go to the front two, those two are probably the best suited for it. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes. I think there's there's a lot of I think there's a lot of talent in the Newcastle team. I don't think we are a relegation team, even with our current squad. I think we've got a lot of good players. Uh, they just have they're just so low on confidence in them. And hopefully how can can bring out the best in them. Be interested to see who works out well and who doesn't. I think his management of St. Maximad is gonna be crucial because we know he's he's our most talented player and he's our most devastating player, but he's also our most most frustrating and perhaps laziest player so you need to find the right system for him i think there would be coaches that would come in and instantly think he's not for me i don't think he's worth what the, the, the issues he causes for a team aren't worth what he brings to it i don't know if any how would do that but um i'm interested how he manages st maximan because i think st maximan was the only one to come out and sort of they you know he put out a big social media and uh, post about steve bruce and yeah, said how thankful he was yeah, he was, and I think that he was the only one to do that. And I think maybe he's enjoyed Steve Bruce saying, "Oh, you, I think he gets a lot of time off from training. I think he gets he gets time to go to France. He's, and when he plays, it's sort of like, oh, the system's built around him. I think he's enjoyed that. But every other coach he's worked with has has wanted more from him. So it's going to be interesting how that works out. But yeah, I think that the main ones for me, Fabian Shaw, definitely seems to be a player that we need to bring back into the team. Um, I think Jamal Lewis, we've not seen anything near what he can offer you know he, this is a player that was once um 
he had bids from Liverpool before he moved to Newcastle. So, yeah, he's obviously got a lot of talent. We need to try and get him back into the team. And I think Jolinton, I think for me, he, he, he has been quite the flop, but I think he's got something to offer. And if Eddie Howe wants to play the front two, I think he's the, the best possible partner for Callum Wilson. And I think maybe we're going to see in the next three or four months some sort of resurgence for Jolinton. And I think that would be great to see because he's always worked hard. He, he's never sort of given anything less than 100% effort. And he's showing improvement. And this is a player that did very well under Julian Nogelsman in the Bundesliga. So, you know, maybe if he's coached correctly, we're going to see a lot more from him. So, yeah, those are the main three for me. Gotcha. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye on all of them. Uh, coming to you now, Thomas, to ask you a couple questions about Wolves. I wanted to start off with this kind of controversial situation surrounding Adama Traore. Some thinking that him not getting as many minutes is down to contract stuff. Some that he isn't fulfilling his role in the team. I was just curious from your perspective why you think he's not playing and what you make of that whole debate right now. Uh, I think the I think the main reason he's not played is because he's not preferred it's one of the few positions in the team where we're actually overloaded with, with options we can play we can play Don Matriore we can play Trincao we can play Daniel Pedence there uh, Huang can I think can play operate from either side so we, we've got we've got options in that position and I think what we've seen uh, generally when when Wolves have played their best football at times he hasn't been on the pitch so I think there's a feeling that he makes us a bit more one-dimensional because we're always just trying to shovel the ball out to him so he can beat four men and and, and uh, you know ultimately too many of his runs end with with nothing you know dead ends because the, the end you know is well documented the end product is not always there um, that's not always his fault it's just not the people who have kept up with the play and there's tactical reasons as well so I think that's part of it uh, the contract situation has dragged on for a long time uh, my gut feeling is that he's probably going to leave um, because of his age. I think he's what 25, 26 now. I think he knows that he's going to get the next contract he's going to get, whether it's at walls or whether it's somewhere else, is going to be a massive contract for him. It's going to be a huge increase in pay. Uh, I think the talk around the club has been that he wants to be the highest paid player at the club. I think Raul Jimenez is at the moment. And I just think that there's, there's a feeling uh, at the club is, do we want to be paying this guy a hundred grand a, a week and tie it for five, six years, or whatever it's going to be, because it's going to be a, a big contract. Um, do we actually are we that convinced about him, or do we put an offer on the table and then if he doesn't want to sign it, then let someone else pay him 120, 150 grand a week, and, and we'll get we'll collect 25, 30 million probably with a you know 18 months or a year left on his contract. Um, so I, I I think the reason he's not in the team, I don't think he's to do with his contract, but I think the contract is having an issue in his performance and effort levels, because I think he's kind of, I think at the moment he's in a bit of limbo and I don't think he's completely focused. And you see that in his game, because if he's not hundred percent in the right place, then he's a player, you really notice it. And um, he didn't look good or interested when he came on against Palace. Um, and he, you know, he hasn't been picked in a, in a couple of other games. So it's definitely one to, to watch. Uh, but my gut feeling is in, um, in the summer, he'll go. I thought he would probably go to Tottenham in January if Nuno was still there, because I think Nuno would be looking at him as a spark, you know, someone who could get fans more excited about watching Tottenham. Um, so I think, but that's probably, the door on that was probably closed now. I don't think Tottenham will be back in for him. I don't think he's a Conte type player. Um, so yeah, but definitely one to watch with interest because something will happen there. 
Yeah, unless uh, <laughs> his performances at right wing back particularly impressed Conte, then yeah, I don't think we'd be <laughs> overly interested. I, I quite like him at right wing back. I mean, he came <laughs> on yesterday. He came on yesterday right wing back and didn't really do a fat lot. But I've I've long said to anyone who would listen that I think he's got all the tools necessary to to be good in that position because he very much likes when he's not got the ball, kind of standing still. Um, that's probably <laughs> his biggest. He, that's his biggest shortcoming as a as a player because if he could run off the ball like Salah and Mane do out to in he would just he would just be getting in all the time but he just the problem is he's too static when he doesn't have the ball he just wants to collect the ball to his feet and charge forward that's his role so I think if you just put him in a very static sort of position between defense and midfield and you just said to him we'll just keep working the ball out to you I think he could be an effective player and he's done well for Wolves you know in that position in the past normally filling in so you know, I, I think that's a good position, but I still don't think Conte will want him. But um, that's a different discussion. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, the other question I had for you was about this loss. Obviously, uh, you alluded to it before we started recording. Uh, first loss in your last six in the Premier League. Do you think there needs to be any significant reaction, or do you think it was just a bad day and you should kind of just keep rolling with what was working? I think we were. I think we've overperformed. Um, I think a, a defeat was always coming. Because we're not uh, we're not the finished article. I think we're we're two or three players shy of being kind of a serious entity. Um, in the same way, you know, you talk about uh, West Ham or someone of that, you know, that ilk where you're just trying to be you're, you're sort of a team that's knocking around mid table, and you're just trying to build up to to be something more credible. I don't think we're we're there yet. So you're going to get some of these soft underbelly performances, and and yesterday that that was exposed because Palace. As the game went on, you could just see it was go even before they got the goals. It was just turning and it was going in their direction. I was a bit disappointed that Bruno Large didn't act before the goals. Um, I felt he had options on the bench. He, for instance, he could have brought Traore on sooner and given Palace something to think about in the the other direction. He didn't do that until the game was kind of gone at two nil. Um, so yeah, it was disappointing. But you know, you've got to also look at what the other team are doing. And I think Palace and Patrick Vieira probably saw what Everton did. Uh, to us in the second half of the, the win we had over them because Everton forced us back. They pressed higher. They got in our faces and we struggled to really maintain the level in that game. And and, and I think Palace are a more high energy team now. Uh, and they've got um, Gallagher in midfield who, who, who gets around a bit and gets in faces. He was, he was committing a lot of fouls, but he was also causing a lot of problems and winning possession and getting into these pockets of space. And then the front three, I thought were really good. You know, Benteke holding the ball up and, Edward and Zahar were doing a lot of good things either side of him. He just felt they're going to get a moment. We, and, you know, the game kind of spread out in the second half and, and they, they were just better than us. You know, there's no hiding from the fact. Um, I, 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 one of those, and we'll probably where home advantage comes into it, you know, Selhurst Park was bouncing and, and they just felt like they were getting pushed on and they were, they were going to be the team that, that found the, found the edge. And, and that's just, that's just how it proved. Gotcha. Well, thanks to both of you for answering those questions. I wanted to wrap up here with Player Watch since there are no uh, club matches, since we're about to hit the international break, as we mentioned earlier. So I was just curious from you guys if there are a player or players that, that might be getting more minutes than people on the outside might have been expecting. Um, oh, that's a tough, tough question. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if anybody really has been. Um, maybe, I don't know, Sean Longstaff's been playing a lot this season. Um, and that maybe unexpected, but he was dropped at the weekend, so I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know about that. Um, 
it's a it's a tough one, Newcastle. I don't really think anybody has been getting more minutes than you'd expect. Maybe Jacob Murphy. He came back in at the weekend, played very well, but he he's played a lot of the games at right wing back. Um, maybe playing a um a bit more than people would expect. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think with Newcastle, it's a, it's more of a story of who hasn't been playing more than who has been playing. So um, yeah, maybe Jacob Murphy's been playing a little bit more than expected. Um, and. Yeah, Matt Ritchie as well. Um, he's played, I think, every game. Maybe shouldn't be. And at the moment, Cole Darlow's played despite the Martin Barrowson being back, which I think is a is a poor decision. But uh, maybe they're just slowly easing him back into trading, and we'll see the Barrowson back after him. So that's a break because I think we are a better team when he's in the team. So uh, yeah, hopefully he's back soon. Yeah, for Wolves, um, we're still we're operating with a quite a familiar team. Um, I think it's become quite familiar in the Premier League over the last three or four years. But the players, the player that's come in and sort of developed over that time, he's been with us the whole time, is Max Kilman. Um, and you don't often see that with Premier League teams, where you've got a player who's around the squad for three or four years and he doesn't really get a look in. And then suddenly he's kind of built up and built up and his appearances have you know, improved. And then suddenly he's in the team. And now he's a stalwart of the team. He's in that back three. Uh, I think there's a lot of Wolves fans who felt he was an outside shout for getting into Southgate's uh, England squad. And that might surprise maybe outsiders. But he has played that well. He's a big guy. He, you know, he comes from this futsal background. He carries the ball out of defence. And he just goes about his business in a really quiet, sort of understated way. But he's, he has developed. He, he looks, he's a, suddenly he's like a big, filled out. And he's just this big unit. And he can, he can play a bit as well. So... Um, I don't think we we saw him still. Um, some Wolves fans might say different, but I certainly didn't think he'd be, you know, cementing a place in that back three and arguably one of the first names on the team sheet. Willie Bolly, who's a more familiar name figure. Um, I think part of the problem has been with him is that he, he can't stay fit and he struggles with the back-to-back games. Um, so, you know, Kilman's effectively taken his place in, in that back three and because we did sign another centre-half in the summer. Um, he, he's got his chance, but he has really taken that chance. He's just signed a new contract off the back of the performances he's put in so far. Um, and yeah, one to look out. One to look, uh, definitely, you know, a name that you probably not really consider if you if you're watching Wolves, but watch his performances if you if you do see him because I think he's a he's a good player and I think he could actually establish himself in the Premier League. Yeah, no, new contract to boot for him as well, which uh, yeah. certainly will help drive him on. One would think. Uh, all right, we will wrap things up there. If you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jack with two ends. Anything I do, I'll post there. So yeah, just uh, and yeah, thanks for for having me back on and for Thomas. It was a, a good show today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, yeah, there'll be some uh, some Wolves content going on on the uh, on the blog on wallsblog.com over the international break. Uh, the preview for the West Ham games. Obviously, if you're a West Ham fan, you might want to go and check that out. And probably some analysis, some statistical stuff about what Wolves are doing. If that's of interest to anyone at all. But um, but otherwise, yeah, if your team's playing Wolves, you know, surf on to the site and, and see what's going on. There's always some interesting comments from uh, home and away fans, so it's a good place to be. And otherwise, you can uh, look us up on uh, Twitter dot com forward slash wolf blog yep be sure to check both of them out i'm kevin devries you can find me on twitter at kevroff as for the show you can find it at epl roundtable on twitter and on all your podcasting platforms uh but thanks so much to you two for coming on today it was a pleasure and folks at home we hope you keep listening
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.